Shabbat shalom. The end of Passover prompts a philosophical question. What does it mean to be free? The drama of the Exodus can, in and of itself, be all-consuming. How will we get out of this place? How, in my own life, will I remove myself from conditions of suffering, from places of hurt? How will I exit this relationship, this job, this terrible problem I have found myself in, this pain, this grief? Cynthia Greenberg, in a Haggadah reading that I love, writes, Leaving is the easy part. Not where to run, how to get there. Children pulling at your hems, so many bags to carry. Which way in the dark will you wander? Which star use as your guide? Stepping out into the uncertain sands, what then? It is more than the worry of food, shelter, water. What will become of us? This is what holds you back. What you make of liberation, that is the trick. Can you, unshackled, set someone else free? In many ways, this is an ultimate question in Judaism. What now? Now that I am free of Egypt, now that I am free of my bad job, free of a terrible illness, free of the thing that I have devoted my entire being to becoming free of, now what? Who am I now that I am on the other side? The stories in Torah confront this question over and over again as our text tries to teach us, I believe, that while freedom is our right and our destiny, it is also fraught. So as we end Passover, tonight or for some tomorrow night, depending on your tradition, and we can talk more about that at the Onig if you're confused, I want to offer you a lens through which we might view this status of being free, of being on the other side of that sea of reeds. One classic framework through which Torah invites us to understand freedom is through the Sinai Covenant. God and our revolutionary leader Moses free us from slavery, bring us out of Bamidbar into the wilderness, bring us out into Bamidbar, the wilderness, so that we might once again bind ourselves to a lengthy and at times seemingly irrational set of obligations known as mitzvot. Remember, the word Sinai in rabbinic thought is code not just for the mountain where we received Torah, but for the entire creation of the covenant between God and our people. Sinai is our contract, our mutual promise. We left slavery only to once again become servants, though to a very different kind of master. Well, you might be tempted to ask if this was just a bad idea, rebound relationship after we broke up with Pharaoh, or at least I'm tempted to ask this because I think it's kind of funny. This moment in Jewish history is rich with teaching for us. If the major trope of the Exodus story is that we were freed from Egypt, and this is immediately following, followed by binding ourselves and our descendants to the will of the Holy One for all eternity, it seems to beg the question, how does Torah understand freedom? Now seems like a good time to remind you of a well-known midrash recounted in Tractate Shabbat of the Talmud. This midrash speaks of the moment when God was asking our ancestors if they would accept the contract that God was offering. Regarding this, Rabbi Avdimi Barchama Barchasa said, the Jewish people actually stood beneath the mountain and the Holy One, Baruch Hu, overturned the mountain above the Jews and said to them, 
If you accept the Torah, great. If not, this will be your grave. I bring this up not only because it's an interesting, if not a bit concerning addition to how we think about the experience at Sinai, but also because it further complicates our understanding of freedom. We left Egypt, got free, and then apparently entered a contract under coercion. Now, you may be glad to know that the rabbis in the Talmud pick up on this potential problem and go on to debate whether or not this provides a means for exiting the eternal covenant because, like in secular law, rabbinic law considers contracts entered under coercion to be invalid. However, without going deeper down that particular rabbit hole or rabbi hole, as it were, <laughs> sorry, I had to, I can report to you that now, thousands of years later, we Jews still find ourselves party to that covenant that our formerly enslaved ancestors signed up for. The point, though, of sharing this midrash is that when we think about our relationship with God and our sense of freedom, the issues of choice and indeed free will become very complex. Last month with a group of our teenagers, I had the opportunity to raise this same topic. I asked them, what does it mean to be free? Perhaps predictably, many of the answers were along the lines of, it means that nobody will tell me what to do. And lest we seduce ourselves into thinking that this is a notion held only by teenagers or that, or that much discussed group millennials, I think a strong argument could be made that the ethos of cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles are very much wrapped up in the same idea these West Coast cities are indeed places where many fled that they might be free of obligations back East. And now I have just compared New York with Egypt, so I'll guess, I guess I'll never get a job there, but I digress. So for many of us, not just our teenagers, the idea that freedom means that we can do whatever we want to do is obvious and compelling. Is this not the promise of the American dream? Build wealth so that you can become the king of your own kingdom. But this Jewish story and this contract that we were signed onto without our consent has a different picture. For Judaism, obligation is the heart of freedom. I am not free when I can do whatever I want to do. Rather, I am free when I live in a community that is striving for holiness. I am free when I am commanded to give tzedakah so that my neighbor might have a warm bed in which to sleep. Furthermore, I am in some sense not free when my neighbor is suffering. I am required to help and through, free when my neighbor is suffering and I am not able to act. I am required to help and through fulfillment of that obligation, I enact my own freedom or make space for our mutual freedom. The freedom to fulfill sacred obligation is, Torah asserts, the ideal kind of freedom. I am free when I observe the mitzvot of Shabbat, of observing a day of sanctity and rest, demonstrating that I am created B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God, that I am not put on this earth simply to produce. The message from Torah is clear. Freedom is inextricably bound up with obligation. The pursuit of individual freedom at the expense of others is actually a kind of trap a kind of enslavement, a violation of a sacred contract. And so here we are on the other side, on the other side of Passover, on the other side of our country. And I hope for many of us, 
we are on the other side of at least some personal struggle, even as I know that life continually brings us back to places of hardship. Here, on the other side of Passover, we are asked, what will you bind yourself to in this freedom? Judaism offers that the deepest personal fulfillment, our greatest joy, the ecstasy of holiness, is found in our fulfillment of sacred obligations to ourselves, each other, and God. The tradition cautions us, now that you have this blessing, this abundance, this possibility, do not be led astray by the false God of an easy freedom. Think carefully what actually the shackles in your life are, and where do you glimpse a land of milk and honey? Shabbat shalom.